In Mixed Company, a good omens multivoice podpick written by the old Aquarian. Chapter 5 The Devil May Care Very Deeply. Aziraphale. It wasn't Aziraphale's worst hangover. That lamentable title belonged to a Sunday in 1826, following the consumption of a delectable homemade Janapy liquor in vessels of inadvisable circumference. He drank so much that night that he actually fell asleep and awoke on a chaise lounge with a headache worthy of inclusion in a torturous arsenal. His memory, however, was uncompromised, and to his mortification he could recall the exact sequence of the previous night's events. These events included the loss of his coin purse and one of his shoes, and the addition of a confiscated dueling pistol and a half-dressed demon's plate across his chest. Um, I guess it's a good thing cravats are still in fashion. You'll probably want one for your uh, neck. Crowley sputtered apologetically. Crowley! Good lord, what have you done to me? Uh, sorry, thanks. Uh, makes discretion a, a little challenging. If there were long and rather indicative scratches running up and down Crowley's back as well, his rifle declined to draw attention to them. But if nothing quite compared to that ignominious day in 1826, Aziraphale nonetheless awoke feeling like a teabag that had been steeped, pressed, and left to desiccate in an abandoned muff. Are you okay, Aziraphale? You look sick. Uriel was standing at the foot of the bed, wearing a puzzled expression and the on-the-side-of-the-angels shirt that had come in heaven's gift bags. <laughs> Aziraphale supplied and rolled over to face away from the window, which possessed the galling insolence to be sunny. Sorry? I'm... I'm perfectly all right. Just slept a bit poorly. He tried to smile, but his facial muscles staged a rebellion against such oppression. I was asleep before you got back. You must have been up late, Uriel said. You'd better get a move on. The afternoon's free today. But we're going for a run in twenty minutes. A what? A uh, run. Running. It's the thing humans do when they need to locomote quickly. She mimed a sprint. Yes, I, I know that, but why are we doing it? Uriel shrugged. Gabriel and Michael think running builds moral character. And it's a thing humans do. Aziraphale was tempted to give a waspish reply about how humans also laced around on comfortable furniture, eating greasy kebabs and watching reruns of Love Island, but he refrained. I don't have any clothes designed for strenuous recreation, Aziraphale said. What? Don't be silly. You've got the same shirt. Uriel indicated herself. I designed it specifically for today's program. We're going to take a group picture afterwards and put it on the official Instagram. 
group picture and official Instagram were two phrases that made Aziraphale cringe enough when uttered separately. In the same sentence, they provoked notions of abandoning Earth entirely for some less populated planet. Aziraphale was, nonetheless, a creature of immense discipline. He employed his astonishing self-control every time Gabriel uttered a blatant redundancy, lest he say something rude to his supervisor. He used it every time he had the urge to perform some too helpful miracle, lest he receive a write-up for injudicious blessings. And he invoked it every time Crowley did something infuriating and attractive lest he launch himself upon his eternal enemy and snog him to Kingdom Come. Kingdom Come really would not do. It was, after all, bad form to bring one's personal affairs to the workplace. That morning, Aziraphale used every ounce of his considerable self-control to avoid retching into the bathroom sink. This will be fine, he told himself. Just like walking, only faster, and with a horrific headache and a very stupid shirt. He stared at his reflection in the mirror and uttered a silent and less than dignified prayer. Let's go, team! Where are those angelic faces? Gabriel was jogging up and down a line of angels who were variously stretching, yawning, and adjusting their earphones. Aziraphale had always suspected that earphones were demonic in origin, or at least achieved ubiquity thanks in part to devilish whales, but they had taken Heaven's offices by storm, much like touchscreens, acrylic furniture, and personal recirculation fountains. What a beautiful day! Truly, God's world is magnificent! Gabriel shook his head, as if in wonder. I mean, it looks great, even in close-up. Sandalfon pointed at Gabriel and nodded significantly at the assembled angels. Aziraphale took a deep breath and tried to imagine the contents of his stomach remaining inside that organ for the duration of the run. We're only doing a quick three miles, Michael announced. Now, you may not be used to this type of rigor in a physical form. Remember, if you feel like giving up, just think of paradise and you will find the strength to continue. Aziraphale endeavored to follow this instruction, but under the full sun of mid-morning, all he could think was that the Almighty would have done very well not to let there be any light whatsoever. This is going to be so fun! Ethuriel chirped to Aziraphale's left. He looked radiant, handsome, and sober. Hey, are you doing all right? No offense, but you look awful. I'm fine, Aziraphale insisted. Just didn't sleep all that well. Oh, that happens to me too when I've been drinking too much, Ethuriel said with pointed sagacity. I usually down a litter of holy water the next day, although I've heard dog hair also works. Seems weird. Not for the first time, Aziraphale wondered what exactly Thuriel thought was proper conduct for an angel. 
He had little time to speculate, for Gabriel shouted, Go! And the angels took off on the paved track around the hotel's golf course. Every step was difficult, each jolt a serious risk of vomiting up a slurry of strawberry margarita-flavored shame. Aziraphale felt winded almost immediately, but he was much less concerned with trying to maintain a competitive or even reasonable pace than he was with not losing control of his nausea. Think of paradise and find the strength to continue, he could hear Michael saying. Aziraphale thought about the times he had been most content, starting at the very beginning. A very good place to start, the part of his mind that was stuck replaying the Sound of Music soundtrack forever chimed in. Briefly, he despaired. Looking out upon Eden from the eastern wall. The world had been one verdant promise of peace and clear skies. There was a charming couple living among the waterfalls and forests, and an enormous serpent that became all at once a winged man. None of that, not now, Aziraphale reprimanded himself, striving to ignore the stabbing pain in his side as he kept running. Must have been a mile already at least, mustn't it? Think of something else, something pleasant. Aziraphale tried to control memories of illuminated manuscripts, the opening nights of splendid operas, Starry skies in the days when light pollution was scarcely imaginable. He tried to concentrate on these pleasantries and ignore his own wrecked breathing and screaming ribs. He could see Crowley swinging off a desk at Trinity College, scoffing about prayer books with pretty pictures. Crowley at the next box over making fun of his opera classes and repeating the most salacious lines of the libretto in terrible Italian. Crowley, lying beside him in a dark field and getting quiet and hoarse-voiced when talking about the constellations. We did it! Give yourselves a good pat on the wings! Aziraphi returned to the present. He was standing at the far end of the golf course next to a group of slightly winded angels and a beaming Gabriel. The run was over. Michael was passing out water bottles and looks of begrudging approval. Now I want you all to remember that humans do this every single day, Gabriel emphasized. You've all got this afternoon off, but we'll be gathered back at 5.30 for dinner and an announcement about promotions I'm sure you're all eager to hear. Well, that's one thing I don't have to worry about, Aziraphale thought. Crowley Doesn't this thing go any hotter? Hester scowled at the temperature indicator at the side of the hot tub. Crowley, you said this was going to be like the sulfur pools. There was something petulant in his voice. Crowley was sipping on a Bloody Mary and leaning so far back against the concrete side of the hot tub that hardly any of his neck was visible above the water. His sunglasses were completely fogged. Of course, since he was sitting next to Hester in a swimsuit, perhaps he ought to thank Satan for small curses. 
Right, like the sulfur pools, Hasta. Not identical. We can't make it any hotter. It's got safety features. How awful! Liga made a horrified expression, like the kind ordinary people displayed when they came upon rotting carcasses or exceptionally bad kerning. Can I have your celery, Crowley? Eric asked, eyeing the Bloody Mary. No. The demons were arrayed in a small hot tub next to the infinity pool. Hell was reconvening all stuff for dinner, but until then they were left with nothing more taxing on their agenda than unstructured malevolence. Hester, Ligger, Eric and Crowley were spending their time frightening other hotel guests away from the jacuzzi. Every time someone got too close, Hastro, Ligor, and Eric all started to smile in an unsettling, expectant way that prompted would-be soakers to turn around and abandon their hopes of warmth and water jets. Crowley tried to do the unsettling smile as well, but he was so hungover that every movement of his facial muscles just looked like half-hearted wincing. Well, Hester heaved a sigh. Shall we recount the deeds of the night? I think we all know what kind of night Crowley had, Ligger said. Crowley felt something twist in his stomach and was unable to tell whether it was fear or fermenting pineapple. He took another sip of the Bloody Mary to cover all bases before he answered. Uh, look, I'm sorry for tripping over your suitcase and uh, waking you up. Okay, guys? Hester crossed his arms. Crowley, I swear to Satan, the only thing worse than listening to you stumble around drunk at one thirty in the morning is listening to you having a go at yourself when you think no one can hear at one fifty in the morning. Crowley opened his mouth to respond. And don't try to pretend you were washing your hands. No one washes their hands for twenty minutes making that stupid whining sound. How the fuck would you know, Hester? You've never washed anything in your entire life, Crowley grumbled. Anyway, Eric cut in, scooting a little further from Hester in the confines of the hot tub. If we're still talking deeds of the night, I met someone cool at that weird avocado toast place down the street. Might try to tempt him later. Oh, come on, Eric. Don't be that demon. You can't just pass off your personal life as temptations for the sin of lust, Liga said. Asmodeus does it all the time, Eric muttered. Hester made a disgruntled sound. Asmodeus is a lazy git. Do you know how many fucking times he's deferred eternal judgment duty? Crowley, who had deferred every external judgment summons under increasingly spurious justifications, shook his head in a semblance of disapproval. Well, Eric said, he was cool at any rate, not my usual type. You mean not a shallow idiot with long eyelashes? Hester asked. Uh, I don't know what to say to that. But he's not in town long, I don't know. I tried to tempt that new idiot at the front desk to give in to rage by dropping him that his computer was purposefully working against him, Liga said. You know how easily people get upset about technology.
That was a bold statement, Crowley thought, considering Ligur still thought that Walkman was a synonym for vagrant and that iPod signified some kind of legume. Hmm, how did that go? Crowley asked. Not that well, Ligur frowned. He just said, yeah, I think you're probably right. Hester, in an act of presumably sympathetic violence, clapped Ligur's shoulder with excessive force. Let's get out of this tepid bowl of water and get some lunch. Ligger nodded. Eric exhaled at length and turned to Crowley. Are you getting out of the water for lunch, or are you going to stay here until you get heatstroke? Eh, the heatstroke one. Okay, have fun. Eric said, lifting himself from the top and grabbing a towel. As the other three demons tried off, Crowley leaned just a bit further back in the hot water and made the concerted effort to close his eyelids. Aziraphale Ithuriel had a remarkable, perhaps literally God-given ability to carry on a conversation with no one but himself. As Aziraphale tried to focus on not letting his legs seize up completely on the way to the beach from a shower at the hotel, he was immensely grateful for such a gift. Nodding just enough to justify Ithuriel's continued speculation about which angel would be promoted and how that might affect the allotment of corner officers, he lifted his aching neck and spotted a familiar copperhead poking above the water in a hot tub. I think we'd better turn around, Ithuriel, Aziraphale said, halting and catching Ithuriel by one perfectly sculptured arm. Why? We're free until dinner. I, uh, I, I think I saw a snake somewhere around here. Aziraphale had never been very good at improvisation. The one and only weak point in his magic act he had the humility to admit. Really? Gross. I just see... Oh, what's his name? The angel with the red hair? We met in Rome. Ithuriel waved at Crowley with frantic, unwarranted enthusiasm. I really don't think this is the time. He might be sleeping. Aziraphale whispered. Oh my gosh, then I have to get his attention. He's gonna drown. Theoretically, I do know CPR. I'm quite sure that won't be necessary. Aziraphale did not relish the prospect of watching Crowley receive mouth-to-mouth resociation from a paragon of celestial beauty. Hey, other angel! Ithuria called. Crowley started and looked wildly around for an unseen angel. So violently, he almost spilled his Bloody Mary. I'm so glad to see you again. Ithuriel approached the edge of the hot tub. I feel like I never run into you upstairs. I'm so sorry, but I don't remember your name. I'm Ithuriel. Aziraphale had followed Ithuriel and gave a definite shake of his head, filling Crowley to suddenly remember an appointment he had to keep with an urgent medical emergency. Crowley looked over Ithuriel's shoulder at Aziraphale, and his confusion turned into a wicked, all-too-familiar grin that unfurled across his face. 
course, yeah. Just terrific to see you again, ethereal. I'm not in the office much, uh, trying out the remote working thing, you know. Gotta capitalize on those commuter benefits. Aziraphale wanted very badly to be annoyed at Crowley for playing into Ethereal's delusion, but he was too busy noticing that Crowley had sidled up the edge of the hot tub and had gone from barely holding his head above water to stretching as much as possible above it. Chlorinated water raced in trips down his pale chest, and a faint trail of red hair beckoned Aziraphale's gaze to follow. Aziraphale had very little vanity, but it occurred to him at once that he would have preferred to meet a wet, half-naked Crowley when he was neither hangover nor splotch-faced from recent exertion. Also, if given the choice for such an encounter, he would have preferred not wearing swim trunks with swordfish on them. What's your name, then? Ithuriel asked. A look of total panic crossed Crowley's face. Uh, my name? Right, of course, mine. Uh, my name is, uh, Caramel. Aziraphale wiped his face with the palm of one hand. Please, God... Let Armageddon arrive soon. Caramel? Ithuriel asked. Like the candy? Uh, yeah, Crowley said. They uh, named the candy after me, because I'm so appetizing, I guess. He rolled his head back to reveal an expanse of neck and flashed Aziraphale an enormous smile. I see you're recovering from a rough night in the healthiest way possible. Caramel? Aziraphale shot back, indicating the Bloody Mary. What? I'm eating vegetables. Crowley tapped a stalk of celery in his drink. What is that? Ithuriel asked, a tiny crease appearing in the perfect symmetry of his face. Just a little hair of the dog. That's what dog hair turns into when it's off of a dog? Wow. It looks just like celery and red juice. Ithuriel, I really think we should be going. Aziraphale started. Can we climb in too? Ithuriel asked, already stripping off his vest and kicking off his sandals at an unsuspecting hibiscus plant. Crowley made a nervous, non-committal grunt that Ithuriel took for a yes. Oh, wow, the water's warm. Ithuriel remarked, carving small waves with his lovely hands. That's why they call it a hot tub, yes, Aziraphale said, fuming. Move over, Ithuriel. Aziraphale tried to avoid looking at Crowley as he took off his linen jacket and shirt, but he was not entirely successful. Crowley's eyes were occluded by his sunglasses, and all the condensation upon them, but Aziraphale thought he could see Crowley following the progress of his careful unbuttoning. He slid into the water between Ithuriel and Crowley, flinching a bit at the onset of heat. Just like the Turkish baths at German Street, all over again, isn't it? Crowley said, stirring one finger in the water with meddling deliberation. 
We are not talking about that now. Aziraphale sat, crossing his arms. What? I'm just referring to the time we had to break up a notorious den of vice. You know, as on assignment together, as angels. Crowley's satisfied grin was as unendurable as his shoulder's proximity. Hey, I have a question for you guys, since we are all angels here, Ethereal said. Crowley leaned even closer. Ooh, yeah, let's talk about angel stuff. Aziraphale shot Crowley a look so bithering, no amount of verbal abuse could have revived a plant in its path. Ethoriel took a deep breath. Okay, so what would you do if you fancied a demon? Despite the warmth of the hot tub, Aziraphale felt as though he'd been doused in ice water. Crowley choked on his Bloody Mary and set it on the pool deck in order to vehemently cough into both hands. <coughs> I'm sorry, Ethoriel, did you say... Aziraphale stammered. He was beginning to regret inserting himself between Ethoriel and Crowley almost as keenly as he regretted his fourth margarita. Ethoriel bit the lip that had inspired six villanelles, four sonnets, and one horribly sentimental Sestina. I know that's really weird, but have you ever wondered? Absolutely not, he lied. Ethoriel, they're the enemy. I know. Ethoriel sighed. He hesitated. But doesn't that make it kind of appealing? Because it's forbidden? Crowley recovered from his coughing, threw the celery out of his drink and gave it a suggestive bite, looking at a zero air. Look, Ethereal, you're absolutely right. And I, for one, completely understand the attraction to the forbidden. It really makes our jobs tough, doesn't it, as angels? I swear to God. Aziraphale whispered to Crowley as quietly and lethally as he could. Really, Ethereal, don't worry. Lots of people like a bit of a bad boy. It's only natural to be tempted. Crowley was looking at Ethoria, but speaking very close to Aziraphale's ear. Still, even if, let's say, one did have warm feelings for a demon, one would be extremely unwise to pursue anything. Aziraphale sat through his teeth. You're probably right. Ethoriel's magnificent head drooped. I don't know. I talked to a demon yesterday at this weird bread and avocado restaurant down the street, and I just felt... I don't know, more of a connection or something? Sometimes angels can be awfully cold. Aziraphale felt a sudden stricture in his stomach, not attributable to any quantity of margaritas. Crowley's mouth compressed into a thin line. Plus, demons are probably, like, really great at sex, right? Ethoriel added. Crowley let out a raucous cackle. Aziraphale felt his face heating, far beyond the safety features in the hot tub we're supposed to allow. 
Oh, I wouldn't know. What do you think, Aziraphale? Crowley asked, with the worst simulacrum of innocence Aziraphale had ever witnessed. I have no idea why you'd think to ask me something so shocking. That's, that, there are no words to describe the depravity. <laughs> that good, huh? Crowley grinned. Speaking purely as a matter of abhorrent speculation, I can hardly bear to think of such a thing. What do you think sex feels like? Aziraphale asked Crowley. They were sitting on a hillside watching the sunset over the Aegean Sea. Several hours and two bottles of wine earlier, they had watched one of Aristophanes' comedies, and Aziraphale had found it rather thought-provoking. Crowley's yellow eyes flicked to Aziraphale and back to the ocean. No idea, he said. Probably like when you tie yourself in a knot and have to slither out of it, but pleasant instead of annoying. Aziraphale tried to imagine this and found himself lacking the necessary frame of reference. You think it's pleasant? He asked, a note of hope in his voice. Crowley looked straight ahead and said, I think it could be. Hmm. I don't think angels are supposed to be curious about that sort of thing. Bit of a pity. Yeah, that's... that's too bad. Sorry, Aziraphale, I didn't mean to make you uncomfortable. Ithuriel said. I guess that is pretty horrific. Nah, I bet some demons are terrific, Shag. Crowley said. Probably a few of them know how to make an angel sing a different kind of prize, if you get what I mean. We get it, Crowley. Aziraphale snapped. I don't get it at all. Ithoria said. Are there two meanings in that sentence? All right, that's enough. Aziraphale stood, sloshing water. I need to get something to eat. He hauled himself from the water. Great. I'll text the other angels to come over here. It's so nice. Ithuria picked up his phone and started tapping. Uh, I think I'd better get a bite as well, Crowley said. Lovely seeing you, Ithuriel. Good luck seducing a demon. Bye, Caramel, Ithuria said, waving. Aziraphale refrained from looking at Crowley climbing out of the hot tub as he carefully toweled himself off and slung his shirt and jacket around his shoulders. But he noticed that Crowley seemed to be cold. He kept his towel wrapped around his head as they walked back across the pool deck. When they were out of earshot, Aziraphale rounded on him. Caramel? Really? Not my best, I know. I was on the spot. I don't know, it sounds angely. What on earth were you thinking? I don't want Ethereal to get himself hauled before a committee of archangels because you told him demons make wonderful lovers. Uh, look, I think I know the demon he's talking about, and that guy's not an idiot. If they want to go out to brunch and get introduced in the biblical sense, that's their affair. It's too dangerous. Aziraphale said before he could stop himself. An angel and a demon? It'll never work! Crowley sighed and seemed to deflate under his thick, fluffy towel. Yeah, he said to the tire. You would say that, wouldn't you? Crowley. Aziraphale reached forward, but Crowley had already turned away and walked to the door, 
clutching his towel around his head like the ropes of some long-ago saint. Heaven's promotion announcement dinner occupied one half of the formal dining room at the Empyrean, ringed by motivational posters. PTO equals productivity, teamwork, optimism, one read. One angel was putting extra tape on a corner of Don't fear to tread. Another said, You had me at Halo. The cut carrot garnish was by far the best part of the meal, and Aziraphale was just about prepared to write off the Empyrean's culinary offerings entirely. The chicken was utilitarian at best, the potatoes were greyish and gluey, and the salad was as painfully overdressed as a man wearing a tailcoat to a picnic. Notwithstanding that this was the sort of gentleman with whom Aziraphale deeply sympathized, Still, Aziraphale smiled at the catering staff in Ballroom A with just as much gratitude as if they had brought him the most succulent delicacies on earth. The archangels were doing a sound check while the rest of the host was beginning dinner. The announcement was scheduled to conclude just prior to the dessert and coincide exactly with the pouring of champagne. Aziraphale was glad to have the intermittent noise from the stage. His lackluster dinner was insufficient distraction from some unwelcome musings. His mind's eye was doing a frankly terrible job not lingering on the memory of Crowley lounging in the hot tub, and his thoughts were doggedly replaying last night's episode of Crowley sucking creme brulee off of his finger. Occasionally, his thoughts transposed the same image of Crowley sucking on his fingers to a different location, and when they did, Aziraphale took several enormous gulps of ice water from the pitcher on the table. Most distressingly, he couldn't stop thinking of Crowley's dejection at his own gloomy outlook on angel-demon relationships. You okay, Aziraphale? You're not eating your vinegar leaves. It's called salad, Ethereal. Aziraphale said. Once again, I'm perfectly fine. You know, everyone thinks Zephon is getting the promotion, but I bet it's going to be you. Aziraphale smiled at Ithuriel over a mostly depleted pitcher. Don't be ridiculous. I've had the same post for more than six millennia. I'm not about to go anywhere. Ithuriel shrugged and picked up the menu card. Oh, hey, look, they're serving creme brulee for dessert. Aziraphale took a deep breath and poured himself a very tall glass of ice water. Crowley In ballroom B, Eric was quote-tweeting his way into a controversy and picking at the dry chicken. Crowley was stabbing at his salad with significantly less enthusiasm than he normally displayed when impaling plants. Hey Crowley, don't be so mopey, Eric said, looking up from F69 Hellfire 69's exploding mansions. You're not seriously upset because you're not going to get promoted. Ugh, thanks for that vote of professional confidence, Eric. 
Crowley leaned back in his chair, so the front legs were no longer touching the carpeting. Oh, Satan, no. Are you still moping about that guy? Crowley let his chair clunk forward. Look, not all of us get over things instantly. For hell's sake, Crowley, get it together. You're still a great catch, whatever this idiot thinks. Crowley mumbled something inarticulate and dismissive. You are! You're a funny! In that makes people want to punch you in the face sort of way. Real helpful, Eric. Eric searched for more straightforwardly positive qualities. You have really nice collarbones. Crowley was full of both self-deprecation and self-pity, but he knew an ironclad argument when he heard one. That's true, he admitted. I do. And hey, Eric said, grinning. You have literally no gag reflex. That's gotta be a plus. Crowley froze with his fork poised mid-step over a piece of radicchio. How do you know that? You had six apple teenies and bragged about it to all of hell, so Hastor dared you to swallow an orange whole. It took like three minutes. Crowley sighed and slid his face into his hands. <sighs> well, I guess that explains why I hate Contro. Yeah. Eric said. I haven't been able to eat an orange since then either. Elgar's scene pictures quieted as Gabriel stepped up to the microphone stand. Good evening, angels. I want to take a moment to thank you all for how great this retreat has been so far. Truly, I feel blessed. And I'm talking even more than usual. <laughs> Give yourselves a round of applause. The angels clapped politely. In the front row, Sandalfon was applauding Gabriel's introduction as though trying to bring about an encore all by himself. You know, Gabriel said, walking stage left. We spend most of our time in heaven, but I think it's so important that we take the time to reconnect with each other in the other place that's really central to our work. The Earth. At least once every 300 years, right? He smiled and pointed at Sandalfon, who finger-gunned back. Michael, off to the side, made a hurry-up gesture and mouthed something that looked like still have a slideshow. Aziraphale, seeking something more entertaining to pay attention to, turned back to his gluey potatoes. Ethuriel was staring transfixed at Gabriel while trying to cut a piece of chicken. He was off by several inches, and only succeeded in shredding his cloth napkin with a serrated knife. It is my obligation, but more importantly, my profound honor, to present this promotion to an angel whose dedication to the righteous cause of heaven is unwavering, whose contribution to our client-centered model is invaluable, and whose patience is an example to us all. 
Kindly, Aziraphale wondered if Crowley was picking at the same unsatisfactory dinner, getting bored with essentially the same speech. Probably he was not listening to Elgar. Now, before I announce the name of the Angel of the Hour, I'd like to take a moment to say to him what all angels say when they appear before the virtuous. Can someone tell me what that is? Gabriel held out the mic towards the crowd. Sandalphon raised his hand at once. Yeah, Sandman, hit us. That would be congratulations. No, not quite. That's what you say when the virtuous arrive in heaven. I'm talking about when they're still alive. Sandalphon looked mortified. Michael's eye roll was visible from the audience. Yes, Ethuriel? Ethuriel put down his hand. Is it... Hey, you want to experience heaven? Uh, no, it's uh, definitely not that. That's an HR violation. Oh, shucks. Ithuriel said in a lowered voice to Aziraphale. I've been saying that for years. I feel like it works really well. Well, uh, what I was looking for was be not afraid. And that's what I'd like to tell this angel. Be not afraid. It's a big opportunity, and I hope you embrace it. Aziraphale was getting so bored, he considered simply trying not to think of Crowley, instead of trying to deny that he was trying not to think of Crowley. Crowley Dagon unwound a long cord and switched on a microphone. Okay, demons, it's time to announce the promotion before we let you get back to your alcohol. The demon I'm about to recognize has been a credit to hell and has truly lowered us in the eyes of the public. Crowley was picking the petals one by one off of the chrysanthemum at the center of the table, glowering at the zinnias, which were its face mates. This decision comes directly from the inner circle of the Dark Council. Even I haven't seen it before. Dagon pulled out an ancient pager, held together with painter's tape, and something that was oozing slightly. The demon we are promoting is Crowley, Anthony J. She turned around and mouthed, Are you sure? to Beelzebub. Beelzebub nodded. Once, Crowley had been thrown from the deck of a ship into the frigid waters of an angry sea. It was slightly after the golden age of piracy, during the lesser-known, rapidly tarnishing age of much less stylish piracy. There was a minute between his hitting the freezing water and the onset of panic in which he had drifted, numb, neither breathing nor struggling to breathe, suspended before sinking. At Dagon's words, he felt himself once again plunged into the icy water, too shocked to contemplate the possibility of drowning. Shit, Crowley, you got it! Eric was saying. Dagon read off the pager. Crowley's career highlights include Original Sin, the Spanish Inquisition, and faucets that don't line up properly with their sinks. Monsieur Crowley did exceptional work encouraging the sin of sloth, through the use of innovative clickbait mechanisms. He also performed a valuable service for Hell's internal operations when he eliminated our most troublesome computer virus. 
Crowley had also created Hell's most troublesome computer virus, but no one was aware of that. Upon acceptance of this promotion, Crowley will be granted with the title of Baronet of Hell. Crowley, please come forward to give us a few words. At the tap of a button on the pager, the projector displayed a blurry picture of Crowley in snake form, fangs bared. Through Crowley's general numbness, a spark of annoyance flared. Ah, did they seriously dig up my old MySpace profile picture? Crowley, come on, get up there, Eric whispered. Crowley rose and looked to the stage, feeling the numbness harden into panic with every step. By the time he took the microphone from Dagon, he was beginning to hyperventilate. Uh, yeah, hi. It's, uh, I'm thrilled, obviously. I mean, who doesn't want to be a baronet, right? Are you really sure you got the name correct? Mm, not entirely, Dagon said under her breath. Well, anyway, I look forward to being in hell. All the time. Sounds perfect, that. Um, do I get a congratulatory drink or something? Dagon snapped, and another demon handed Crowley a glass of champagne. Right, Crowley said, trying to stop his hand from shaking. To hell. Aziraphale. It is my true honor to welcome Aziraphale to our heaven-based operation and to his new role as Celestial Operations Manager and Human Cultural Sensitivity Advisor. Aziraphale, be not afraid to accept this promotion. Aziraphale felt something hot swell in his chest. He was used to the other angels expressing their gratitude for his presence on Earth but it usually seemed to come with a hidden clause that was not at all complimentary. Everyone in the room was beaming at him, and Gabriel was standing at the podium with his hand outstretched. He'd never gotten that kind of recognition before, not even when he and Ithuriel had been deputized to guard the gates of Eden from the adversary. The adversary... At once the swelling in Aziraphale's chest contracted, and a wretched feeling took its place. He was being promoted to the one place Crowley could never follow him. Aziraphale, if you'd like to come to the front. Somehow he found himself at the podium, accepting a microphone from Gabriel, although he couldn't say how he'd arrived there. Aziraphale. I just gotta say, welcome home, Gabriel said, shaking his hand with excessive firmness. When Aziraphale didn't react, he leaned in to whisper. This is the part where you make a speech, Buttercup. Aziraphale made a beautiful speech. It was rhetorically refined and emotionally affecting, equally succinct and memorable. Angels in attendance would remember later how Aziraphale's speech managed to be both highly sophisticated and remarkably heartfelt. It was also plagiarized word for word from a film about an inspiring teacher coaching a group of plucky, disadvantaged children 
for a regional championship. Crowley Demons are not known for their healthy emotional outlets. They don't call up their friends and complain. They don't take up kickboxing and they don't even buy large tubs of boutique ice cream and seek solace in the creamy depths of mint chocolate chip and stracciatella. So when Crowley received the word of his promotion, he spent about two hours staring at himself in a bathroom mirror before tearing away to find a plant at which to hurl abuse. The sun had yet to sink completely, and he fully intended to have it out with the beakers in the courtyard, but he was so distraught that he ended up spewing all of his pent-up vitriol at a small ornamental flower display in the first flower hallway outside the aromatherapy suite. You stupid excuse for a lavender blossom. You aren't worth infusing in someone's god-awful over-scented tea. What kind of a stem is that, you blighted, phosphorus-deficient son of a stamen? The plant did not tremble, flinch, or whimper. You're not worth a speck of the dirt you were potted in, you mangled excuse for a flower. I hope you get slowly eaten by spider mites, and every bite reminds you of your worst failures, of which there are many. Still, no reaction from the plant. I wouldn't use a shampoo that smelled like you if it was the last sudsing agent on earth, and my hair was coated in pond scum, you horrible plastic-looking wretch. Crowley fell to his knees. He found spite rather physically exhausting. The plant looked as serene as ever. Pulling off his sunglasses to glare at it, Crowley was about to deliver one more invective when he discovered that the lavender was not only plastic-looking, but actually artificial. He had been screaming at a fake plant. Feeling mortified, he dashed for the nearest elevator and punched the button for the seventh floor so hard he bruised his hand. Seeing Hester, Ligger and Eric watching television did nothing to improve his foul mood once he had evaded the heavenly sigil in the lounge. What happened to you? Ligger asked. You look like you were on the receiving end of an exorcism. Fine, Crowley said. Thrilled, actually. Always wanted to be a baronet. Got to get planning out my baronetcy and all of that. There is nothing good on. Hester complained. There was an infomercial blaring from the screen, proselytizing the miraculous benefits of microfiber towels for only $12.99, if you call it now. That's an advert, Hester. Crowley said flopping onto the reclining chair and letting his limbs loll even more than usual. We've been watching a lot of those, Liga said. There's a really good one about the accident coverage lawyers that's top-notch, it is. <laughs> Crowley sighed. Hester clicked. On the television, a flock of seabirds was taking off in coordinated flight to the stirring sounds of a full orchestra showing off. And now we come to the harsh landscape of the frozen north, 
where only the hardiest survive. Already seen this one, Crowley said. The fox catches the chipmunk. The polar bear doesn't die. The lioness fails to kill the gazelle. They don't actually see the spider eat the lizard, even though there's a lot of dramatic build-up. And the penguins successfully hatch their stupid fucking chick. Esther whipped around to face Crowley with fury in his gummy eyes. You ruined it, you rotten reptile. You spoiled the whole plot. I'd still see it. Eric chimed in. Just for the record. A few more clicks got them to a different wildlife documentary, with even more stirring music to accompany its scenes of migrating caribou and drifting schools of mackerel, and the solitary pilgrimages of arctic terns. After demanding that Crowley explain the plot holes, the demon settled in to watch. Hester and Ligger took furious notes for future infernal torments at the section on the deep-sea fish. Not much is known about the mating habits of this rare and camera-shy snake. Don't even say it, Crowley said. I wasn't gonna, Eric said. Ligger snorted. I was. But we have managed to capture this one on video as it encounters its mate. Okay, I'm done. I'm not watching this part with you guys. Crowley stood up and stretched, faking a yawn. <sighs> oh, and Hasta, the iguana dies at the end, but the leopard seal makes it. Crowley? The following day... Crowley was circling the fountain in the lobby after a long and stultifying session on what to do if you are summoned, when he saw a Xerophil peer round one of the pink marble columns, attempting to subtly signal him. Crowley jerked his head in the direction of the snack bar, and in five minutes' time he walked onto the cafe's deck to find a Xerophil fidgeting with a napkin and chewing his lip. It was, oddly, a relief to see Aziraphale looking so nervous. Crowley didn't think he could handle seeing an easy smile slip slowly from Aziraphale's face at the news. It occurred to him that perhaps Aziraphale would not stop smiling, that Aziraphale would endeavor to be happy for him and might even convince himself that it was for the best. He definitely couldn't handle that. We need to talk, Aziraphale said, before Crowley had the chance to sit down. He was absently folding the napkin into a freestanding structure. Right what I was going to tell you, actually, Crowley said. I've got shit news. I have? Well, it's good news, Aziraphale said. Then, quieter... It's supposed to be. Crowley had planned a detailed, heartfelt speech about his unfortunate promotion while lying awake in the bathtub. It was meticulously mapped in his head and included two extended conceits, all literary allusions and three different pleas for Aziraphale to run away with him, organized in ascending order of desperation. He did not say any of it. Hell's taking me back, 
I am being promoted, pending completion of a remedial course on appropriate use of the infernal expense account. The bastards. It was more difficult to say than he had expected. The last words were choked. Crowley pressed his sunglasses to his face as tightly as he could, hoping they formed a watertight seal. As Crowley had recently been reminded by Walt Planet 3, snakes are incapable of crying. The same is believed to be true of demons, although no one has ever set them all down and made them watch the Titanic. Nonetheless, Crowley found himself producing improbable tears. What? Aziraphale looked righteously angry. I'm being promoted. Somehow, the addition of a second obstacle to the precarious life he had eked out on Earth alongside Aziraphale made the tears stop, the despair evaporate, and a dangerous, premature joy spread through Crowley like electric charge through a waterlogged household appliance. Indefinite separation was so unthinkable that he abruptly decided not to think about it. Instead, he laughed. A demented cackle that had just as much spite as mirth. Ha ha ha! Whoa, we're getting out of this. He said to Aziraphale, with a fierce smack atop a stack of brochures for the spa and a sharp-toothed smile. I don't want to be in a sweltering cubicle ten thousand miles below London any more than you want to be in the great open-plan office in the sky. Aziraphale's eyes flicked down to his napkin sculpture. I wish there was a way, Crowley. I... Well, I've settled into something of a comfortable routine here. And if it's all the same to the Almighty, I'd really rather continue where I am. There is a way, Crowley insisted, taking one of Aziraphale's hands in his own and trying not to mentally pick apart comfortable routine and whether he himself might make the routine more or less comfortable. Aziraphale looked up at him under pale lashes. How? I won't defy heaven. And you can't disobey hell. You said so yourself last night. Overpriced handbag and all. It won't come to that. Come on, it's not the end of the world. We'll just think of a plan. He grabbed a spa brochure. Execute the plan. He rolled the brochure into a thin tube. And then it's all peachy again. He swung at Aziraphale's carefully folded napkin, which collapsed. Aziraphale blinked. That's your idea? F forgive me for not thinking of just coming up with a plan and doing it. Crowley was about to retort, but a group of angels entered the snack bar, and instead he unrolled the spa brochure and buried his face in it. An interminable minute went by during which Aziraphale kept a close eye on the angels at the counter and Crowley read about the hydrating benefits of the cab wrap treatment. Clear at nine o'clock, Aziraphale said, in a whisper more suited to a theatre in the round than a theatre of war. Crowley let the brochure drop. What's an exfoliating scrub? he asked. Something to rub on your skin to slough off the old bits. Aziraphale said automatically. Please, Crowley, let's focus on the, uh, peculiar situation at hand. Right. What do you mean, the old bits? You... 
Are you telling me your skin flakes off in little pieces? He felt a sense of revulsion, not dissimilar to that provoked by the more active inhabitants of Hell's office fridge. Why are you looking at me like that? Everyone's skin gets, you know, replaced bit by bit. It's nothing horrid. So, what you're saying is, you don't peel it all off at once? Aziraphale's mouth dropped open in horror. How have you lived among humans for over 6,000 years and never noticed that they don't shed their skin? Well, hardly seems like the kind of thing you mention at dinner parties, Crowley said defensively. And you've known me for more than 6,000 years and you never realized I did. Why would I think something like that? Aziraphale's voice climbed in pitch. So you've never noticed my face looks really, really fantastic every three months or so, huh? I... it's not that it doesn't... Crowley, no one looks at someone else's nice skin and supposes it must have fall... Words failed Aziraphale, and he made a flailing gesture like something splitting apart. Crowley squinted at Aziraphale through his sunglasses as though taking the measure of him through some complex trigonometry. For the record, even though your skin flakes off constantly, I still find you very attractive. How open-minded of you. Aziraphale snapped as a flush crept its way up to his neck from beneath the collar of his unseasonable sweater. Crowley wanted to argue, but he found himself staring at that creeping flush and was unable to think of any reply, except kissing his way along its path. Regrettably, that was off limits. Yeah, that's the one from Sunrise Yoga. A voice called. Mary Loquacious, the hotel manager, had approached their table with a young woman wearing a sweatshirt that said, Trash the patriarchy, not the planet. Hey, Aziraphale. Good to see you in a non-meditative state. The sweatshirted woman sat. Sunrise yoga class? Crowley looked at Aziraphale with nearly the same alarm he just displayed about the skin flakes. Long story, Aziraphale said. Nice to see you, Anathema. Oh, look, it's the two guests of honor, Mary exclaimed. Her earrings were geckos today, one green, one yellow and blue. I have to say, I think these are the only parties for which I've ever hired a team of exorcists. Parties? Aziraphale asked, launching. The exorcists? Crowley gulped. You do know the hotel is aware of your supernatural origins, right? Mary said quizzical. I've spoken to the higher-ups and the lower-downs in your respective organizations. The exorcists are just for backup security. Standard practice. Part of your liability agreement. Well, I suppose that does make some sense. Aziraphale squeezed one of his fingers with anxiety. But what are the parties for? Your promotions, I believe. Mary broke into a smile. Congratulations, by the way. It wasn't really the most subtle company name you could have chosen. Celestial Holdings. Anathema said. A bit obvious. Look, you try getting a demon to come up with a name for something. Crowley said. They're rubbish at it. Caramel. Aziraphale muttered under his breath. Crowley swatted his hand with a spa brochure. 
Well, I suppose angels aren't really that much better. Aziraphi conceded, shaking out his hand with more care than the brochure squad warranted. Everything Gabriel came up with is also the name of a strip club or a... a video rental shop of an indecent nature. You humans have made a real mess of the words heavenly and angel, I must say. For a split second, Crowley was about to heartily concur that overuse of the word angel in erotic matters made it difficult to find any worthwhile pornography, and then he came to senses. So I've been wondering, does the afterlife use an absolute rubric? Or are souls graded on a curve against the morality of everyone in their death cohort? Sister Mary asked. We are not exactly at liberty to discuss specifics with mortals. Aziraphia said apologetically. I can only say that heaven has unerring judgment. Ugh. Hell did a study and found that people are damned much more severely when the demons in charge of soul weighing are about to go on vacation. Crowley said. That's disgraceful! Aziraphia looked shocked. Well, did heaven ever look into their own data? Ever search for any ethereal biases up there? Crowley countered. Divine judgment is unerring, Aziraphale repeated, though it sounded much less confident this time. Did Hell attempt to mitigate that effect at all? What did they do with the study? Hmm? Oh, it tossed it to the subcommittee on the integrity of evil. It'll never get out of there. Well, then why did anyone bother studying it in the first place? Crowley gave him a dark look. We got sued. Do you know how many attorneys we have down there? We've got entire white shoe firms full of dead lawyers appealing their cases. Hang on, you can appeal? Anathema looked up from her phone, bewildered. What happens if you appeal yourself out of hell, but heaven won't take you? Uh, well, no one's ever really figured out what all those middle floors are for. Crowley began. You're a strange pair, you are, Mary said, shaking her head and making the gecko earrings flop. A rogue angel and a punch-clock demon. Actually, I'm salaried, Crowley said meekly. Anathema snapped her phone case shut. You've been real, but I gotta help Newt reboot the front desk system again. See you around. Mary and Aziraphale exchanged pleasantries, and the two women went back into the hotel through the café. We've got to figure this out, Crowley said. Let's go back to that place with the parrots and come up with a plan. Aziraphale sighed. <sighs> I suppose we had better. I've got a presentation on the best ways to thwart a demon tomorrow. I can meet you at seven. Ugh, funny enough, tomorrow I've got a presentation to hell about outsmarting angels. Pity you haven't got any experience with that. Hey, that's not very nice, Angel. Aziraphale's eyes glittered. No, I suppose it isn't. Good luck with your presentation, dear. I've got to go over my notes on how to deal with demons. <laughs> he laughed, clearly in spite of himself, and looked at Crowley with eyes full of fondness. Well, that's something you're rather good at, isn't it? Crowley said, peeking over the top of his sunglasses. You've got something of a talent for meeting wickedness with, well, another kind of wickedness. 
Aziraphale blushed and said to the salt-shaker, I hardly think I'll be advising my colleagues to take those sorts of tactics, but I really do need to read over my notes. Right. See you tomorrow at seven. Crowley stood up. Some desperate part of him added, uh, Let me know if you'd like to uh, practice any of that. The dealing with demons. Oh, hush. Aziraphale sat and stood up as Crowley walked by, so that their faces were rather close together. I think I've got rather more than enough memories to draw upon. Crowley tried and failed not to look at Aziraphale's lips. Can't hurt to add some fresh ones, though, can it? He said softly. To his surprise and elation, Aziraphale gave him a gentle kiss on the cheek. Don't be a distraction, dear. We've got presentations to do and promotions to refuse, somehow. He gave Crowley an appraising up-and-down glance and smothered a smile. Business before pleasure, you know. Close to midnight, after Xerophil had thoroughly reviewed his notes, the room was lit only by the glowing screen playing Wild Planet 4. And so, as it unhinges its jaw, the snake gains the incredible ability to swallow down things larger than the size of its own head. Aziraphale? You here? Aziraphale yelped, stepped the remote to turn off the TV, dove under the covers, and poked around for a suitable book to pretend to read. Abduction by the demon prince did not seem like the right thing, notwithstanding his carefully applied plain cover. Struck suddenly with something like divine inspiration, he extracted the Bible from the nightstand drawer and appeared to be thoroughly immersed in Deuteronomy when Gabriel finally put on the lamp. Gabriel, how nice to see you! Aziraphale exclaimed. Hey, kiddo, it's my turn on duty. Boy, do you look excited. I do? Aziraphale squeaked. Oh, yes. Terribly excited about the promotion, of course. It'll be lovely to be, uh, once more with the rest of the flock, so to speak. You nervous? Gabriel called as he headed to the bathroom to brush his already gleaming teeth. Oh, I suppose a little. Aziraphale said. Realizing that he'd been having trouble reading Deuteronomy because the Bible was upside down. Gabriel, in meticulously iron pajamas, took care to remove his watch and set it for 5 a.m., then knelt and pulled out a book from his bag before climbing into bed. This is really great, thinking of making it mandatory reading, he said offhand. Aziraphale could read how to win souls and influence mortals across the cover. Oh, quite. Hey, you've uh, got that presentation tomorrow. You feel ready? Gabriel asked. Aziraphale had never been forced to repeat a catechism, but he imagined they felt similar to conversations with Gabriel, to which every question had only one acceptable answer. Naturally. He replied. Always nice to provide helpful instruction to my fellow angels. Couldn't think of a better angel for the job, Gabriel said, thumbing a page. 
Part of why we decided to promote you was just, well, have the kind of zeal heaven needs. Always seems to me like you take genuine pleasure in thwarting the forces of evil. There were many instances of thwarting evil that Israel felt genuinely proud of. Fiendish plots he had undone and hellish schemes he had spoiled. He wasn't quite as proud of other instances, like the one in which evil had itself requested a thwarting. There were a number of these instances. Sometimes evil asked for more gentle or forceful thwarting, depending on its capries. And sometimes it wanted to thwart good. Oh, I don't know. Aziraphale said, squirming a little further under the covers and focusing very hard on the text that read, Their wine is the venom of serpents. Really, I'm just doing my job.